So the giving keys was birthed as she was driving down in L.A. She saw some homeless people. And she just stopped for a minute and she said, I need to know these people. She took them to dinner. She began to know them and she said, do you want to be my business partner? Now that's a little bit different approach than most of us take. Because most of us take the approach with a mindset All they want is my money. They should get a job. Not ever stopping to think that maybe something else is going on in their life that you don't understand. And I I give you, there are a lot of people that are not legit. And in that process of starting to employ, I think she has 30 employees now, homeless, but they're not all homeless. They've Some of them have found Christ. Some of them got their GED. Some of them have apartments. They're living on their own. They're off the streets. In fact, all of them now that are their employees are off the streets, and they were on the streets, and they were asking for a dollar at at the corner of your local intersection. So think about this thought. God's love surpasses your expectations. Whatever you think God is in terms of loving you, it is beyond that. It exceeds your expectations. You expect God to love you because of something. But God loves you in spite of who you are. The character and the nature of God is such that he reaches down into your life and he sees all the ugly stuff going on there and he goes, I'm okay with that because I'm going to take you from where you are and take you where you can be. And God always works from the inside out. He always works from the bottom up. He always works in the small ways to take you to the next step. He will exceed your expectations. But also, as we talk about light today, I want you to understand that God's light brings healing and joy. When God begins to bring the warmth of his light into your life, I want you to know that what he's doing is he's going to heal those things that you don't even know are sick sometimes. He's going to bring joy where there is no joy in your life. And so when God's power comes, I've found that God's power comes in waves to increase your faith. You know, sometimes we think about God coming just incrementally, and sometimes he does that. But what I've noticed is more than that, God comes in a wave. All of a sudden, you have one of those moments where you go, wait a minute, I just understood something, or I just experienced something. I just felt the, the wave of God's love, and what it did was it increased my faith. It took me to a new level, and it came in waves. And I, and I want you just to encourage you to pray that the waves of God's love comes in such a way that it takes you to the next level of faith so you can begin to understand what God wants to do in you and how God wants to answer your prayers. God wants to do a miracle in your life beyond what you could even imagine. Mark the level miracle and God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ever ask or think on that level. Take the watermark because that's going to be your human understanding and lift it and elevate it from there. Now, in the book of Genesis, we're studying this this, uh, book of Genesis probably for the next 40 years. 
since we've only we've been about a month in it, we've only gotten into three verses, so it's not going as quickly as we imagined. But that's okay. God is God is good. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, I, I want you to take your Bibles and, and utilize those as we study, even though the scriptures will be on the, on the screen and you can follow along in that way. But I think it's important to personalize the message with your word itself. Now, before we read from verses 3 through 5, which is the text for today, I want to give you a little background in the first two verses. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you weren't here for the couple of uh, two, three messages prior to this, I want you to go back and and listen to those or watch those. Uh, You can do that through our website. But I want you to, in your Bible, just mark the word gap between verses 1 and 2 because there's a gap of time that occurs there that explains the fall of Satan, that explains the long geological ages that we wonder about, And then it begins with this word in verse 2. The earth was, and that word was means became, without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what happened was when Satan rebelled against God between verses 1 and 2, and we built that foundation for that in a previous message, so we won't go through it again, it brought darkness on the land, it, it created this spiritual darkness. And God then in verse 3, our text for today, then God said, let there be light. Now what's interesting here is he doesn't use the same word in verse 3 as he uses in verse 14 when he talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars. This is not the light of the luminaries in the heavens. This is not the sun, the moon, or the stars. This is the visible manifestation of the presence of God. This is what would, we'll refer to in this message as the Shekinah glory of God. It is the presence of Almighty God showed up in a magnificent way to dispel the darkness, the spiritual darkness that Satan would impose upon the land. And when God spoke, he said, let there be light, there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and he divided. Now, which what's interesting here is, he divided, this word here means to make a distinction, to divide into parts. For the first time, I believe, God separated light from darkness. He divided it. Darkness as we think of it in the kingdom of God, was not evil until Satan. This explains the origin of evil, the fall of Satan. God said, from this point on, I'm going to divide darkness, and darkness is going to be the realm of evil, because Satan, you need to go to your place. But God also, what he did was he infused the manifestation of his presence, of his light, onto planet earth in that particular moment. In fact, the entire universe. Now, Satan's name is Lucifer. It means the shining one or the light bearer. So Satan shows up and he says, basically, I'm going to be like the most high God. I'm going to show you about light. He was proud. He exalted himself. He wanted to be God. And God said, basically, you want to see light? 
And there was a full release of the manifestation of the presence of God in light in that moment that once and for all would demonstrate to Satan who was God, God Almighty. And the light came in. And the light, it says, and the light distinguished itself from the darkness. In verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness... I want you to notice there's a, there's a definite article there before darkness. It's called the darkness. It's not darkness. It's the darkness. He called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Remember, it was not till the fourth day that God would create the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's interesting, that little phrase, the darkness. Just jot these references down. You might find them interesting. But in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness. There it is. The darkness. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21, listen to this. The Lord said unto Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. This is the context of Egypt. And when they're getting ready to deliver Israel out of the land of Egypt, he said, stretch out your hand toward the heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. You ever felt darkness? You'd have when it's evil. You ever been in a situation where you say, wow, I just feel like there's evil present. That's the darkness. That's not the night. That's the darkness. That is what we wrestle with as we live out our faith in Jesus Christ. I want to take you to Psalm 104. Just jot it down. We'll put it on the screens for you. Psalm 104 verses 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. We would say amen. Amen. You are clothed with honor and majesty who cover yourself with light. You cover yourself with light as with a garment who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Now, the psalmist wasn't trying to be a physicist here, certainly not an astrophysicist. He was not trying to tell us something about the shape of the universe, but the Spirit of God inspiring uh, the writer of this psalm gave us some insight into the stars, into the universe we live in. In fact, I'd like to just take you for a moment to a quote by Charles Acock, the Harvard astrophysicist, probably a pretty smart guy. What do you think? Now, look what he said. The Milky Way, and that's not the candy bar. The Milky Way, I would think about it because I'm fasting, right? you got to think about food once in a while so you remember to pray. The Milky Way is like a sprinkling of bright sequins on an invisible cloak spread across the vastness of the space. Sound familiar? Yeah, the psalmist wrote it some 3,000 years ago. The cloak is woven out of mysterious stuff called dark matter because it emits no discernible light. A sort of shadow with substance. Dark matter dominates the universe, accounting for more than 90% of its total mass. What they discovered in this study of dark matter of the universe is that it explained the mass of the universe and the content of dark matter is primarily water. 
And, of course, the Bible says that when God wanted to flood the earth, he opened up the fountains of the great deep, that is, the heavens, and he released it on earth. We also know that the word heavens is the word in the Hebrew, shamayim. It means their waters. You see, what happens is the astrophysicist comes along and gives us a brilliant insight, and I, and I mean it, it is brilliant insight into what the psalmist gave us thousands of years ago because when we function with the mind of God, when we function, listen to me, when we function with the mind of God, we see the things that we haven't even learned because we have the mind of Christ. I want you to understand that God is light. God is light. Not this kind of light. No, the manifestation of the presence of God. The minute God spoke in that, in that moment there at creation, a metamorphosis of universal proportions was set into motion. That word metamorphosis, we understand that word, right? We see the little ugly worm that kind of crawls his way up the, up the tree and then sooner or later it bursts itself into a butterfly. Amen? We like the butterfly. We don't really care for the worm. And yet, do you know that's exactly what God does with you? He takes you, and as you crawl along, and there seems to be no comeliness, there seems to be no beauty in you, and then God transforms your life, and you become transformed, you become metamorphosed into that beauty, that thing of beauty that God had for you. And God put this in nature so we can understand transformation in our personal life. You see, the universe was filled in that moment with the Shekinah glory of God, and God divided the darkness and said, Satan, that will be your realm. We will ever identify you there, but I want you to walk in the, the scripture says, in the light as I am in the light. Jesus says, in fact, in John chapter 1, he said, he is the true light coming into the world that enlightens every man. Every man gets an opportunity to see the light, even though they walk in the darkness. That's the mercy of God. Last week, we talked about angels. If you're interested in angels, you can go back and, and watch or, or, or listen to that podcast. But as we talked about angels, one of the things I told you was that I, I was sitting here many months ago, and I had a revelation of this strong angel that stood giving, giving watch over this building, that stood on that corner there. And, and as I was leaving uh, this week, the coffee shop, uh, one of our attendees here, one of our, from the, who's been here from the beginning, stopped and said, could you describe the angel to me? And I began to describe the angel to her. She said, that's what I thought. And I said, what do you mean that's what I thought? She said, five years ago, uh, roughly, when you were preaching, uh, I was sitting there watching you preach, and all of a sudden there was a vision of a strong angel with a sword, and on the other side of you was evil, and the angel was there protecting you. And I thought to myself, isn't it interesting how God begins to give us light the further we walk with him, the longer we walk with him? In John chapter 1 and verse 5, listen to what it says. And the light shines in, there it is again, the darkness. And the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. It literally means in the Greek there to take possession of it. Darkness tried to grab the light and make it its own. But it could not take possession of it. It did not have the power, did not have the understanding. It could not comprehend the darkness. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes three of his disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
They have no idea what they're getting ready to experience. He is going to give them a preview of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He is in that moment going to be unveiled in his glory, not all of his glory, but much of his glory before their very eyes. They would see things that would ever stay in their mind. They would, be, they would hear things and they would remember things that may be too sacred to even share. You know, sometimes God shows you things too sacred to share. You have to hold on to them because God speaks to you and you say, no, I'm going to put that away because if I share that, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose the strength of it. I have to tuck it away until God shows the full revelation of it. Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, here's what it says. You can read the rest of the story on your own, but here's what it says. And he, that is Jesus, was transfigured. It's the word metamorphosis. They saw him as a teacher and a rabbi. They probably were, he was on the suspect list of being the Messiah at this point in their life. But all of a sudden, he went from that human form, the teacher, the rabbi, the miracle worker, he was transformed, he was metamorphosed before their very eyes. And it says, his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. What light? He's already talked about the sun. Now he's talking about the light. What light? This was the Shekinah manifested glory of God they experienced in that moment. It was so overwhelming to them that they said, let's build some tabernacles. Let's stay here. Let's not leave this mountain. That's how you're going to feel when you meet Jesus, when you get into eternity. You're going to be so overwhelmed and taken in and drawn in by the light of his glory that everything else will pale in comparison. And that's why when you get a little glimpse of glory in your life, you're so drawn to it, you want more of it, you cannot get enough of it. And that's why when you're in the darkness, that seems so foreign and so far away, and you wonder, will I ever get back? And I want you to know it only takes one step to get into the light. Amen? One step back into the light. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all, but we all with an unveiled face. It's talking about Moses who used to put a veil over his face. He would go up on the mountain of God. He'd see the glory of God and the the glory would begin to fade. So he would put a veil on his face. But it says we, we're different than that. We're not like Moses who goes up on the mountain and sees God. And and then that glory of that just kind of hangs with us for a while. We are always in the presence of God with an unveiled face, it says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. You ever looked in a mirror? You look in a mirror and you see you. He says when you look into the presence of God, you see God. You see the glory. And we are being transformed. There it is, metamorphosed. We are being metamorphosed into the same image from glory to glory. Do you know, you know what he's doing in you? He's transforming you from one degree of glory to another. He's taking you from the image that has been marred by sin He's taking you to the image of the Savior. He's making you like Jesus, and sometimes you're not even aware it's going on. It says it is from glory to glory. In other words, you're going from one stage of glory to another. This comes from the Spirit, from the inside. Remember, God always works from the inside out, from the bottom up. God always begins small. What he does is he takes you from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Spirit of God that does that. 
Let me take you to Exodus. Let me show you something about God's glory. God's glory. Exodus chapter 33. Moses is this man that God has greatly used. And he's hungry for God. You know what I want you to, every one of us to be? Greedy for the presence of God. How about that? Don't be greedy for money. Don't be greedy for anything. Be greedy for the presence of God. I want God in my life more than anything. Walk by everything else and say, I'm getting to God. Don't let God be a means to your end. Let God be your end. You see the difference? God is not a means. I hear people all the time say, you know, if I were rich, I would give to God. And I say, no, you wouldn't. You're stingy now. You're stingy then. It's true. If that's how you speak, I know your heart already. Well, when I get enough money, I'm going to be generous. No, you won't. You've developed a selfish heart your entire life, and you will not ever be generous unless you break that paradigm. And you understand that God can take everything from you right now. When you begin to understand you don't own anything and God can take everything from you and he's willing to do that, then you begin to understand the God of the universe. It's not about you. It's not about you. Never was, never will be. It's always about him. When you can put everything aside and you say, no, it's about you, you are the end. You are not a means to my end. Well, I'm going to pray so God will. No, God is not a means to your end. That's why Psalm 37 says, delight thyself in the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You say, well, I'm just going to be happy in Jesus, who so will give me everything I want. No, when you delight yourself in God, that means he is your one consuming passion, and everything else pales in comparison. Amen? Get an oh my on that one. I don't know. Amen. All right. Ezekiel, uh, Exodus chapter 33. Let's look at it. Moses, he's greedy for God. Greedy for God. Let's get greedy for God. Can you say that with me? Greedy for God. It's hard to say it. Let me try it again. Greedy for God. One more time. Greedy for God. He, he says, God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And God says, you cannot see my face. You can't see the full expression of the glory. For no man shall see me and live. The idea is that he is so powerful and his presence is so great that in our physical, natural state, we cannot receive that. One day we will see his face, the scripture says in the Revelation, but not now. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You know what God does? He brings you into a place by him. He says, come over here. Let me put my arm around you and pull you in close. I'm going to pull you in a place by me. Stand on the rock. You know the place by him is? It's Jesus, the rock. He is the rock, Paul says, followed them in the wilderness. He is the rock, the foundation of your soul. The psalmist said, he has pulled me up out of the miry clay and put my feet upon a rock. He is the rock. He is the rock that breaks the foundation of the mountains of the nations, Daniel says. He says, come over here and stand on the rock. You can stand on Jesus and you can see my glory. If you don't stand on Jesus, you won't see my glory. So it shall be while my glory passes by. While my glory passes by. Sounds like Revelation 
the seven churches. It says that the train of his robe would, would pass by. You could feel, you could see, you could sense the presence of God when he comes by. My glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Now, for those of you who don't understand this language, he uses, he, he uses language that we call anthropomorphic language. How's that for a cool word? And all that really means, I mean, somebody smart had to come up with that word, right? It wasn't me. But what it means is ascribing human-like qualities to God so that we can understand and relate to them. Anthropomorphic languages. So anthropos, man, morphic, image of, the image of man, so we understand something about God. You'll see it in Scripture. It's a literary tool to help to understand the Spirit of God, who's so different than us. Got it? Okay, three people got it. I love it. Okay, then we're not even going to go into sacerdotalism then. Okay, here we go. Then I will take away my hand. I'm going to put you over here. I'm going to cover your eyes, and then I'm going to take away my hand that you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Hey, you know what? That's enough. In other words, if you can get that glimpse of God, that's enough. Let me show you something here that I believe is happening in this passage. His glory inspires faith. Do you think Moses was ever the same? When you see God's glory, are you ever the same? When God begins to touch you, are you ever the same? His glory excites the heart. Man, your heart starts pounding. I've been in the presence of God. God spoke to me. I got a glimpse of God's glory. I got close to God. I began to sense God. However, whatever terminology you use to express that being in his presence. But his glory also propels you into your future. You know what happens? God will give you a little glimpse of the future. And he will propel you. He will send you forth. And you go, I, I can't go. I, don't, I can only go in the strength of the Lord. Watch this. God inspires faith. God inspires faith. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. Look what it says. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. Now, he's trying to show you a little contrast here, right? He's saying, you know how bright the, the moon is when it's at its brightest? Imagine the moon like the sun. Imagine that for a moment. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold. Now take the sun, multiply it times seven as the light of seven days. You take the cumulative effect of seven days of sunshine, and that's how bright the sun is going to be. And it's going to be in that day, in the day, that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. In other words, when you begin to understand how God takes care of the bruise of his people. Did you notice it's the bruise? It's not bruises. It's the bruise. You know why he says that? Because he's talking about Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is speaking, and he says to the serpent or to the woman regarding the coming seed, the Messiah, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The serpent is going to bruise the heel of the coming Messiah, Jesus, at the cross, and it's going to look like it's all over, but when he rises from the dead, he crushes the head of the serpent. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just say crush the head. Crush the head. 
All right. Now, let me tell you, when God spins the world into existence, and we're running out of time here, we've got to, you've been slow listeners again today. When God spun the world into existence, he took Draco the dragon, the big, the big constellation. He wrapped it around the universe. And if you understand something about constellations, you understand that right above the head of Draco the dragon, the serpent, is the foot of the strong man that's crushing the head of the serpent. God put the stars in the heavens as he designed them, and he calls them all by name. And he had a purpose for every single star, just as he has a purpose for every one of you. And he has positioned you perfectly. Do not get ahead of God, and do not fall back and and miss out what God is doing. Amen? Glory be unto him. Oh, we're not even done here. Look at this passage. He binds the bruise of his people. He heals the stroke of their wound. Hey, guess what it says over here in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to what it says. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We have seen him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Hey, in that day when the moon becomes like sun, the sun becomes seven times brighter, I want you to understand you're going to understand the bruise and the victory. You're going to understand the healing that comes by redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And in that day, you're going to have increased revelation and insight. When you begin to see things with clarity, the clarity like the moon becoming bright and the sun seven times, you're going to have increased revelation and insight, and that begins now. It doesn't begin then. God wants to give you more insight. God wants to give you more revelation, but also the removal of pain. What is it that's bringing you down, keeping you from from going forward? Give it up. Quit nursing it. It's over. It's a new day. God is a healer God. God says, I'm going to make all things new. Give it up. It's not worth it. The longer you nurse it, the longer you're going to have to deal with it. Give it up today. Just say, God, I give it up. Can you say it? God, I give it up. God, I give it up. I'm moving on. When you do that, guess what he does? He takes away the pain. Removal of pain. Pain's gone. Why? The splinter has been removed. You ever had a splinter? Ever had a a little bitty thing? How does it hurt so much? You feel guilty. What's wrong? Oh, Oh, got a little splinter. That's it? I mean, it'd be easier to cut a finger off. You know what I'm talking about? A little splinter and then, you know, a paper cut. How about a paper cut? Paper cut? Oh, my gosh. Amputate a leg. Don't cut my, don't give me a paper cut. But also, guess what? When the pain is gone, you have fullness of health. You have fullness of health. Let's stand together. I'm going to, I wrote this kind of late uh, yesterday and thank God that our media team was able to to get this in for us, but it's a declaration of God's light. I know a lot of you are asking for these declarations that I write. This one is absolutely on our uh, Facebook page if you want to grab it there. We're going to take these declarations and turn them into a book um, sometime this year. We've got about 15 books on on the schedule for this week, this year, so we've got a few things going on. 
By the way, the community group material uh, will be published. It will be here next week. It's a 90-page book, same format as the Kingdom Discipleship. Uh, it's going to be great, and we'll publish four of those this year, um, four volumes, and it'll be a great way to take Genesis and go even deeper with it. But let's look at together, Declaration of God's Light. You're going to say this with me. I declare, I declare that God's light, that God's light surrounds, me surrounds me and brings wisdom, and brings wisdom knowledge, knowledge, and understanding. And understanding. His, light His light divides and overwhelms. The darkness. His light brings fullness of joy. His light is my shield against the enemy. His light is my glory and my power. I declare that the resources of heaven are at my disposal. My destiny is secure, is secure. And, my and my future is bright. Is bright. Amen and amen. 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 Give God the glory. Give God the glory. We're going to sing. We're going to have the band come and we're going to worship him right now in a spirit of truth and a spirit of joy. I'm going to ask you to sing even if you can't. I want you to